In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. Through the grace of God, we will study tonight Psalm 45. Actually, this psalm describes a celebration of a royal wedding that could not be applied to any human wedding. So this is not a royal human wedding, but only to the spiritual wedding between the Lord Jesus Christ, the King, and his church. The the three previous Psalms, Psalm 42, 43, and 44, expressed the suffering of individuals and of the congregation. Now these three Psalms that expressed the suffering, they are followed with this royal Psalm of glory, whose prophetic goal is to reveal Christ the King, who is Christ the King, and also the Church, the Bride. Christian scholars interpreted this psalm as a messianic prophecy, prophecy about the Messiah. It is prophecy pointing to Jesus as both the future King and the Bridegroom of the Church. Each psalm has a title. Each psalm has a title. Unfortunately, the titles are not included in Coptic Reader. But if you look at the Bible, each psalm has a title. The title of this psalm is To the Chief Musician, Set to the Lilies, A Contemplation of the Sons of Korah, A Song of Love. So there are four statements in the title. To the chief musician, set to the lilies, a contemplation of the sons of Korah, a song of love. So let's understand the title. To the chief musician, some supposed to be, who is the chief musician? The leader of the choir, or the musicians in David times, like Heman, the singer, or Asaph, as we read in First Chronicles, Chapter 6, verse 33. Second statement, said to the lilies. Who are the lilies? Some say it may refer to the general beauty of the composition of the psalm, or to the tune of the psalm, or an instrument that has six strings, and it looks like a lily, and shaped like a lily. But others say it is concerning Christ and his church who are manifestly the subject of this psalm. And they are compared to the lilies as we read in Song of Solomon. I am the rose of Sharon, the lily of the valleys. So the lilies here means the bride of Christ, as we read in the Song of Solomon, chapter 2, verse 1, I am the rose of Sharon, the lilies of the valley. So the church in her beauty, like the lilies of the valley. The third statement in the title, 
the sons of Korah. So the author of the son is wholly unknown. We don't know who is the author. However, some claim that sons of Korah, who were Levites from the family of Kohat, wrote this psalm. That's why it's called the sons of Korah. But others say David could be the author and the psalm was directed to the sons of Korah to sing it, to chant it. However, we don't have a certain evidence that David was the author and his name is not mentioned. The last statement, a song of love, would properly denote a song devoted to love or in celebration of love. As I said, this song speaks and addresses a royal wedding between Christ and his church. So it is a marriage song setting forth the mutual love of Christ and his bride, the church. In other versions of the Bible, it is not written a song of love, but it is written a song of the beloved ones. And instead of a song of love, a song of beloved ones. Who are beloved ones? Are the friends of Christ, who is beloved and friend of his church, and the church who is beloved and the friend of Christ. As we read in Isaiah chapter 5, verse 1, Now let me sing to my well-beloved a song of my beloved regarding his vineyard. And because the word beloved ones, a song of beloved ones, in the original text used in the feminine, not masculine. So some have given the word virgin. So it is a song of the beloved virgins, sung by them on the account of the marriage between Christ and his church. In the oriental wedding in the past, so the bride is in the procession. She is accompanied by virgins. So this is a song of the virgins around the bride, singing this song of marriage, this song of love between Christ and the church. These are her companions. And actually in verse 14 in this psalm, there is reference to the companions of the bride and the friends of the bridegroom as we read in Song of Solomon, chapter 1 and verse 3. Some actually unfortunately claim that this psalm is about King Solomon. However, when you read the description in, in this psalm about the, 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 the king here, yes, Solomon was wiser than all men. But it was never about Solomon. He was fairer than all men, as we read in the psalm. Nor Solomon was a warrior. So the person presented in this psalm could not be Solomon. Also in this psalm, it says about the king, your throne 
and your kingdom is forever and ever. This cannot be true about Solomon. And Solomon cannot be the object of worship, as we say and we read in this psalm. The nation will worship you. Nor with his marriage with his Pharaoh's daughter is a thing that's so commemorable. Nor is she, the Pharaoh's daughter, ever praised as the queen uh, mentioned in this psalm. So definitely it is a prophetic psalm. And the person who is spoken of in this psalm is the person of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Messiah, which almost all Christian scholars confirm. This psalm, actually, we pray it in the third hour of the Agbayah. This psalm, we pray it in the third hour of the Agbayah. And we remember the gift of the Holy Spirit, as it's written in this psalm, That's why the Lord your God anointed you with the oil of joy. And when we study this psalm, we'll see the work of the Holy Spirit. That's why we pray it in the third hour. Also, some passages from some verses from the psalm used in the matrimony. And the church quotes certain verses of the psalm in the feast of St. Mary, because she is the queen to praise her. And the whisper during the month of Kiyahk include many verses of the psalm. St. Augustine says about the psalm, it is sung for the sacred marriage feast of the bridegroom Christ and the bride the church, of the king Christ and his people, us, of the savior Christ and those who are to be saved, us, His sons are we, and that we are the children of the bridegroom. And it is to us that this psalm is addressed, whose title has the words for the sons of Korah, for the things that shall be changed. So this psalm actually is addressing us because we are the children of the bridegroom, we are the bride of Christ. This psalm is 17 verse. From verse 1 to 9, it speaks about the might and the glory of the king. And from verse 10 to 17, the glory of the bride of Messiah, the king. So first nine verses about the king, then from 10 to 17 about the bride, about the church. So let's start from verse 1. Verse 1 says, My heart is overflowing with a good theme. I recite my composition concerning the king. My tongue is the pen of a ready writer. So, this is more than the exaltation of an earthly king. Definitely this cannot be said about earthly king like King Solomon. The psalmist begins by saying that he's about to express words that proceed from his very heart. My heart is overflowing. They are not in vain. These are not impulsive or false words. 
but are the most earnest, genuine thoughts and warm affection. The word overflowing brings to our mind when actually you are boiling something, some fluid or liquid, and it overflows. So here, as if the heart of the psalmist being heated by the fire of the divine spirit, and there is overflow with these words of this psalm. It expresses how it was hot within him and caused him to speak with his tongue. So the words, he could not restrain the words in his heart, but the words after his heart was full with this divine love, his tongue overflowed with these words. Overflowing with what? My heart is overflowing with a good theme. So from the abundance that was in it, this good theme flowed like water out of a fountain. So the tone of the psalm is a good theme. So there is a sense of joy and celebration throughout the psalm, good theme. Yes, these words also hint that the psalmist had a sense of inspiration in writing this. He is inspired by the Holy Spirit. And this good theme flowed up within himself and then came to his tongue. And according to some scholar, my heart is overflowing is a testimony about the birth of the son from the father. As if the father is saying, my heart is overflowing with the word because the son is the Lord. Son Ambrose says, he is the word by whom the father's heart is overflowing. The Son is the Word, the Logos, by whom the Father's heart is overflowing. St. Augustine also says, who is the speaker? Who is saying my heart is overflowing? According to St. Augustine, the Father or the Prophet. For some understand it to be the person of the Father who says, my heart has uttered a good word or the good word, the Logos. St. Augustine also says, by the word I utter, he means I say a word. From his depth, he utters his word. You yourselves would not utter except what comes out of your heart. In one of us, when we speak, we speak what comes in our heart. Yet, what you utter is uttered once and then disappear. What we say is uttered once and disappear. But what God utters is everlasting because the Son, the Logos, is, is begotten from the Father. So he said, my heart is overflowing with good theme. I recite my composition concerning the King. So this psalm was composed for the king's honor alone. And who is the king here as we agreed? It is our Lord Jesus Christ. He is the king of the whole world, over whom, over the world, he reigns in righteousness.
Then he says, my tongue is the pen of a ready writer. This gives the literal sense of a skillful and swift pen man. He may mean that he is but the pen or instrument in uttering this psalm. So the psalm said, all what I, just I'm an instrument. But it is the Holy Spirit who is composing everything. I'm just the pen. I'm just the tool. So my tongue is just the pen. But the skillful writer here or the ready writer is the Holy Spirit. So it has another and higher original meaning, the Spirit of God by whose hand this pen is guided. So before Christ the groom, the psalmist stood and his tongue became like the pen of a scribe, the Holy Spirit. St. John Chrysostom says, the tongue is the pen by which we write down our covenants with God. Like in baptism, we confess his kingdom on us and reject the dominion of the devil. This is our signature on the covenant by our tongues. Verse 2, from verse 2 starts speaking about the king. You are, you the king, are fairer than the sons of men. Grace is poured upon your lips. Therefore, God has blessed you forever. So verse 2 begins a powerful description of the king, praising and exalting him for two things. Number one, for who he is. And number two, for what he does. For who he is and what he does. And this description is true of Christ not of Solomon. The psalmist begins by simply noting the beauty of the king, saying he is more beautiful, more fairer than all others. Definitely there was never a more beautiful human being than Jesus Christ. But I want you to notice, the psalmist was not specifically according to many commentators, speaking of his physical appearance or beauty. But because he was without sin, therefore he added, grace is poured upon your lips. So when he said, you are fairer than the sons of men, he is not speaking about physical beauty. But he is speaking about the beauty of the sinlessness of the Son of God. That's why after he said, you are fairer than the sons of men, lest anyone understood it in a physical way, he said, grace is poured upon your lips. You know, when you see like one of the godly people say, no, there is grace upon this person, but the Lord Jesus Christ is the source of every grace, actually, and all grace. St. John Chrysostom comments on the word fairer and says, Being inspired, you see, he now is speaking to him. So the author of the psalm is speaking to Jesus Christ. Direct his words to him. 
Now the psalmist did not say this by way of comparison. He's not comparing Jesus with us. His words were not just saying to Jesus, you are are more comely, beautiful. But comely to behold beyond all human beings. So there is no comparison here. He is saying, you are above comparison with human beings. The former beauty, the beauty, the physical beauty, is different from the latter beauty, the beauty of the sinlessness of the Lord Jesus Christ. And according to St. Jerome, the splendor and greatness of his divinity, divinity of the Son of God, became hidden under the veil of the body in his incarnation, but sent its radiation upon his physical feature to captivate all those who have the honor of looking at him. Grace is poured upon your lips, therefore God has blessed you forever. Grace is poured upon your lips, as we read in Luke chapter 4, verse 22. In his early years, it was said about Jesus Christ, so all bore witness to him and marveled at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. Even the opponent of the Lord Jesus Christ said, No man ever spoke like this man, John 7, 46. So what does the psalmist mean by saying, Therefore, God has blessed you forever? He's speaking here, How God the Father bless God the Son? According to Father Onesimus, depending upon the words of the Father, the Lord Christ here speaks concerning his manhood. So when they say, God your Father, you know, blessed you forever, speak about his manhood. Although being the incarnate word of God, the one and equal to the Father in the same essence, yet concerning manhood and as a representative of humanity, he calls his heavenly Father God. And I'm sure you remember after resurrection, he said, my father and your father, my God and your God. So, my father by nature, your father by adoption, my God by incarnation, your God by nature. Let me repeat it again. After resurrection, when he appeared to Mary Magdalene, the Lord said, I did not ascend yet to my father, your father, my God, your God. Let's understand these four words. When the Lord said about God the Father, my father, it's by nature. But when he said your father, by adoption. And when he said my God, it's by his incarnation. And your God, by nature. Because he's our God by nature. And according to manhood, as we read in Luke chapter five, uh, chapter two, verse fifty-two, he increased in wisdom and stature. I want you to understand this clearly. What did he mean? Saint Luke meant by he increased in wisdom and stature, not gradually in them, 
but gradually proclaiming them. Again, he's not growing gradually in them, but gradually in proclaiming them. For wisdom was not something foreign to him. He's the wisdom of God. But he gradually revealed it and practiced it, being a true man. You are fairer than the sons of men. Grace is poured upon your lips. Therefore, God has blessed you forever. Then I told you he praised him for who he is. Now what he does. Verses 3 about what he does. Gird your sword upon your thigh, O mighty one, with your glory and your majesty. Having described the beauty and eloquence of the king, the psalmist now proceeds to portray his power to arm him as a warrior for the battle. The king is beautiful in character and speaks grace-filled words, grace poured upon your mouth, but he is not like a weak man. This king is a man of war, a mighty one, one armed with a sword. When he said, gird your sword upon your thigh, O mighty one, with your glory and with your majesty, some commentators said uh, the sword is called Messiah, glory and majesty. But this is not accurate. So, as if when he said with your glory and majesty, as, as if the psalmist is saying, gird yourself, your, yourself with the sword and put on your glory and majesty. Show yourself in all majesty and glory that naturally belong to you. The, the context of the psalm says this. So he is saying, gird your sword upon your thigh, reveal, O mighty one, your glory and your majesty, which are natural to you. What is the sword here? The sword is the word of God. As we read in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, the word of God is sharp in reproving sin, in refuting error and heresy, sharper than two-edged, the word of God sharper than two-edged sword. And we can see Christ made the use of the word of God against Satan in the wilderness, against the scribe and the Pharisees, and which he will make further use of it in the latter day against the man of sin, Antichrist, and his followers. Also, the sword can refer to the cross by which he has crushed the devil, broke the sting of, of death, and overcome it. And that's why those who are saved see the cross as the power of God. The Lord Christ girt his sword on his thigh, reference to his manhood and to him bearing his cross. Girding means he, he carried his cross. In your majesty, being thus gloriously girt and armed. Verse 4 In your majesty, right 
prosperously because of truth, humility, and righteousness. And your right hand shall teach you awesome things. So, in your majesty, being thus gloriously girt and armed, after you put your own sword with your glory and honor, right prosperously means march on speedily, come quickly, signified by the word right, and successfully against your enemies. So the king here is full of majesty and blessing. And why he is coming here to conquer by force? No. He said, because of truth, humility, and righteousness. In your majesty, right prosperously, because of truth, humility, and righteousness. The kings of the world, they come to conquer other, even by injustice or unfairness. But Jesus comes to conquer by truth, humility, and righteousness. So the psalmist here beseeching the king, the armed mighty one, to ascend his victory chariot, to conquer our spiritual enemy, and seize by power the souls whom Satan actually took captive and the Lord purchased with his blood. And I want you to do comparison here. The kingdom of devil is set upon what? Lies, vanity, pride, and oppression. But the word of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, came to conquer by what? Against lies by the truth, and against pride by humility, and against oppression by righteousness. That's why he told him, come and conquer by truth, humility, and righteousness. By these three things, he will conquer the kingdom of darkness and to set the kingdom of the divine righteousness in us. St. John Chrysostom says, All other people exercise royal power by making war so as to gain cities or wealth. God, by contrast, acts not for any of these things, but for the sake of truth, to plant it on earth, and the sake of humility and gentleness, to make those who are more savage like wild beasts to be more gentle, and for the sake of righteousness. So he did not come to capture cities, he did not come to capture wealth, but he came actually to spread the truth, the gentleness, humbleness, or humility, and righteousness. To make those who are in bondage to lawlessness become righteous, firstly from the grace and secondly from good deeds. Then what the psalmist meant when he said, uh, your right hand shall teach you awesome things. Maybe a correct and uh, a more accurate translation, your right hand shall lead your awesome things. Shall lead your awesome things, not shall teach. So your right is a symbol of power. 
Your power shall perform great things. Your right hand shall perform awesome things. And yes, his right hand actually did awesome things in redemption by conquering and destroying his enemies and the enemies of his people. St. Augustine says about this verse, He, Jesus, was led by his own right hand, meaning by his own power. For the power which the Father has, the Son has also. The Father's immortality, the Son has also. He has the Father's divinity. He has the Father's eternity. He has the Father's power. Marvelously, will his right hand lead him on, performing the works of God, undergoing human suffering, overthrowing the evil wills of men by his own goodness. That's what his right hand did. Then in verse 5, Your arrows are sharp in the heart of the king's enemies. The peoples fall under you. So the weapons of this king are many, not only the sword, but also he has sharp arrows ready and sent out against his enemies. He might bring the world into submission. The peoples fall under you. So his arrows are sharp in the hearts of the king's enemy. The peoples fall under you. Refer how the people will submit to him. Nothing that the Lord Jesus Christ does is poorly done. How come? He uses no pointless arrows, but sharp arrows in the heart of king's enemies. What are these arrows? The arrows are the instruments with which he conquered his enemies. What are these instruments? The truth, the teaching, the promises of the word of God. Upon hearing the word of God, people acknowledge themselves sinners, fall down at his feet, the people fall down under you, humbly appeal his grace and mercy. St. John Chrysostom says, he is calling the power of his word arrows. You see, he moved Aaron around the whole world more quickly than arrows and touched the hearts of those who previously were enemies to the king. Not to destroy them by these arrows, but to win them over. This happened also in St. Paul case. So the arrows, St. Paul was an enemy king. So the arrows of Jesus Christ that are sharp actually pierced the heart of St. Paul, who was the king's enemy. And St. Paul actually worshipped Christ. The people fall under you. Sharp arrows also can be the apostles, sharpened by the Holy Spirit, to pierce the hearts of the people and nations, to testify to the teaching of the Lord Jesus Christ and to the works of his amazing grace, as on the day of Pentecost. And what happened after this? People fall down, worshipped Christ, submitted to Christ, uh, claimed him his, their king and their savior.
So the description from verse 2 to verse 5 might apply to a remarkable man who was nevertheless merely a man. If we continue with this argument that this about King Solomon. But as the description continued, it clearly referred to this king himself as God, seated upon eternal throne. So even if we try to say from two to five can apply to a human being, but when we read over, the psalmist is not addressing a human being. The psalmist's intention is to address the king of kings, whom he has already declared to be more than human being in verse 2. That's why in verse 6, he says, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. This cannot be said about human being. And also he addressed the king here, O God. So it's a prophecy about Jesus Christ. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of your kingdom. So forever and ever, it refers to a dominion to which there will never be any end. This is never said and could not be truly said of any earthly kingdom. The psalmist could not restrain his adoration. He actually, his enlightened eye, see the bridegroom of the church. God's reign is everlasting. And this passage actually, your throne, O God, is forever and ever, is quoted by St. Paul in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 8. And prove that the Messiah is exalted above the angels. And it is beyond all question cited by St. Paul as having original reference to the Son of God. He noted only that these words say that Jesus is eternally enthroned by God, these words are also the testimony of God the Father regarding the Son. St. Paul explained prophetically that this psalm prophetically gave us the word that God the Father spoke to God the Son. So God the Father is saying to God the Son, your throne, O God the Son, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of your kingdom. And as you know, a scepter is a symbol of royal authority and the authority of a true king. This king reign is not founded on mere aggression and conquest, but his kingdom is founded with righteousness. As we said, righteousness humility, and truth. So, if his kingdom is founded with righteousness, so much so that the symbol of his authority, the scepter, is also a scepter of righteousness. And the Coptic Orthodox Church made this verse, verse 6, a famous melody, him big thronus, which actually is chanted for almost 20 minutes, by which the soul meditates on the throne of the crucified king, and we repeat it two times, one on the 11th hour of Tuesday of the Holy 
week as well as on the 12th hour of Good Friday during the burial of our Lord Jesus Christ. The righteousness of his kingdom comes from the natural result of his love for righteousness and his hate of wickedness to wickedness. That's why in verse 7 he said, You love righteousness and hate wickedness. And since he hate wickedness, that's why the scepter of his kingdom is the scepter of righteousness. Therefore, God, your God, and I explained God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness more than your companions. The Lord Jesus Christ doesn't have to work hard to make his kingdom righteous. It is in his nature and character. Therefore, the Lord, the God, your God, according to human nature, as I said, your God because of his incarnation. So Jesus has given so many and great proofs to his love to righteousness and his hatred to, to sin. His whole life on earth proved the truth of these words, especially by his death, his passion. Therefore God, the Father, has raised and exalted Jesus far above all men and angels to a state of joy and endless glory at his right hand, which is fully expressed by the oil of gladness. When he said, therefore God, your God has anointed you with oil of gladness, means he exalted you. He anointed you to be above all human beings, all angels, above everything, more than all your companions. He was anointed by oil of gladness. He received that anointment with joy, according to the word of St. Paul, who for joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the chain. Hebrews 12.2 Also he received it as the pleasure of his father, who testified to him, saying, You are my beloved son, in whom I am well pleased. That's why it's called oil of gladness. And it's interesting, because we are united with Christ, then, by his unique ointment, he granted us, the members of his body, uh, of his body the ointment of gladness, Galileon, in the sacrament of Myron, to be counted, to be planted in the rich olive tree, to be counted as kings and priests. So, here once we are united with the Lord Jesus Christ, we also anointed with the oil of gladness. And that's why we anoint the baptized child with the Galileon, the oil of gladness. And we tell him, be planted in the rich olive tree. And you can see here the interaction between the three hypostases of the Trinity. God your God, that's God the Father and his position of authority. Anointed you, you here refers to the Son. And the word anointed has in mind the ministry and the presence of the Holy Spirit. Because the anointment is by the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity. And this anointment happened on the day of baptism when the Holy Spirit descended upon Jesus Christ as 
dove. Verse 8, all your garments are scented with myrrh and aloes and cassia. Out of the ivory places by which they have made you glad. We'll stop at verse 9, so two more verses. Uh, then in verse 8, the psalmist gives another reference to the beauty and uh, fairness of the anointed king. The divine anointing, because he was anointed with oil of gladness, causes fragrance to come from the robes of the mighty one, with myrrh. Many says that the psalmist, by the word myrrh, referring to his burial. These spices, myrrh, aloes, cassia, refer to the spices used in anointing the body of the Lord Jesus Christ before his burial. St. Augustine says, by his garment meant his sins, his elect, his holy church, which he shows forth as his garment, so as to speak his robe without spot or wrinkle. So, your garment is us, and without spot or wrinkle, because the spots he washed with his blood, and the wrinkles he extended on his cross. St. Augustine. They also, these three, Mer, Alice, and Cassia, are formed part of the sacred oil described in Exodus chapter 30. Also, these three spices for the custom of perfuming clothes and beds, as we read in the Song of Solomon, chapter 5, verse 5. And according to scholar origin, the garment of the Word of God refer to the sweet fragrance of the teaching of his divine wisdom. So this fragrance is the fragrance of his teaching. And we can see until now how non-Christian actually refer to the gospel of love, gospel of forgiveness of Christ. Scholar origin also explains that myrrh referred to the death of our Lord Jesus Christ for the sake of mankind. Alus referred to his condescendence uh, and emptying himself to bear the image of a servant. And Cassia, Cassia is extracted from a plant that grows in places with plenty of rain. So Cassia referred to the redemption of humanity through the water, the rain of baptism. What is the ivory places here? It says in, in verse 8, uh, out of the ivory places by which they have made you glad. So, who are they coming out of ivory places to make the king glad? St. Augustine explained the spiritual sense of ivory places. Ivory places is the magnificent houses. But it is the tabernacle of God, the heart of sin. You are the tabernacle of God, and the Holy Spirit abide in you. So ivory places is us. We are the ivory places. St. Augustine says, Who brings into subjection to themselves, and the believers, 
who bring into subjection to themselves the rebellious commonality of human affection. So when we control our lustful desire, we become ivory places, who chastise the body and reduce it to bondage. For it is from these ivory places, this tabernacle, that the daughters of king have made him glad. So we, the ivory places, will make God glad when we live in purity, righteousness, holiness. So the church and the believers make Christ glad by speaking of his glory and living according to his will and teaching. So the image here is that of a king coming out of the palace where he dwelt and dressed in apparel appropriate to his position. Surrounded by us, his people, spreading joy all around. Verse 9, which will be the last verse in our Bible study tonight. King's daughters are among your honorable women. At your right hand standeth a queen in gold from Ophir. So the image now, the marriage scene now begins between Christ and his church. And as I told you, after verse 9, start speaking about the queen, the church, the bride, until verse 9 speak about the king. So the bridegroom has been portrayed in all his glorious majesty. The bride now has to be brought forward to him, to be presented to him. She comes accompanied by a procession of honorable women, many of whom are king's daughters. So who will walk in the procession of the bride of the king? The daughters of king, they are daughters of king. King's daughters are among your honorable women. At your right hand stands the queen in gold from Ophir. So this is one measure of the greatness and majesty of Jesus is the greatness of the men and women through the centuries who have been his most devoted followers. These were and are men and women of whom the world was not worthy. As St. Paul said, Hebrew 11:38, of whom the world was not worthy. So when I'm, I'm speaking men of honor or women of honor, I'm not speaking wealthy men or women, but no, they are wealthy in their virtues, they are wealthy in their righteousness, of whom the world was not worthy. And these people actually uh, surrounded the Lord Jesus Christ. These are his bride. And the queen here is clothed with the richest garment made of the best fine gold. And at your right hand stands the queen by whom is meant the church, because the church, his title, her title is the queen, being the bride of Christ. He is the king, the church is the queen. But this title, not because she is queen in her own self, but she became the queen because of her relation to Christ, because she is his bride. St. Augustine says, she, the church, which stands, no, sorry, she, 
the lady which stands on the left of Christ is not the queen. For there will be one standing on the left to whom it will be said, go into everlasting fire. But she who stands on the right is the queen to whom it will be said, come you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. The Coptic Orthodox Church sees that verse 9 to 11 speak also about St. Mary, Mother of God. These verses provide a complete visual of the magnitude of her importance. Our, if our Lord Jesus Christ is the King of kings and Lord of lords, then rightfully his mother also received the title of queen and stand at his right side. Mostly like him in humility, St. Mary was very, very humble person. That's why he chose her to become his mother. We'll stop here and I will give summary in Arabic. مزمور 45 من أجمل المزامير في كتاب المقدس لأنه بيشرح ال- ال- من هو العريس ومن هو العروس زي يوحنا المعمدان لقال من له العروس فهو العريس العريس هنا المسيح والعروس هي الكنيسة بعض الناس حاولوا يقولوا أن المزمور ده على سليمان بس لا ما ينفعش الطبع على سليمان في كلمات زي كرسيوك يا الله إلى ظهر الدور هنقول سليمان كرسيوك يا الله إلى ظهر الدور فدي نبوة عن شخص السيد المسيح من آية واحد إلى آية تسعة بيتكلم على المسيح الملك العريس بعد كده من آية عشرة لسبعة عشر بيتكلم على الكنيسة عروس المسيح مزمور ده من صلي في صلاة الساعة الثالثة من الأجبية لإني بنقول له مسحك الله إلهك بزيت البهجة المسحة دي عمل الروح القدس وإحنا في الساعة الثالثة بنتذكر حلول الروح القدس أيضا المزمور ده بنخد في آيات منه بتصلي في كياك الآيات اللي هي ترمز عن العذراء أو التجسد زي إسماعي يا ابنتي وانزوري وأميلي أذنك وزي شعبك وبيت أبيك أيضا بيستخدم بعض آيات منه في تذكار السيدة العذراء وتذكار القديسات أي قديسة وأيضا آية ستة بنسمعها في أسبوع الألام في يوم ثلاثة البسخة وفي يوم الجمعة العظيمة لحن بكثرونس اللي هو كرسي يقهي الله إلى ظهر الدور فمزمور جميل جدا لما نيجي نفهمه ونتأمل معناه هنحبه قوي ويبقى مزمور معزي ومفرح لينا الحقيقة مش معروف مين اللي كتب المزمور ده لكن المرنم الآية الأولى قال فيها فاض قلبي بكلام صالح يعني إيه فاض قلبي بكلام صالح فين لما تيجي تغلي حاجة وبعدين تفور وتكب كده برا قلبه كان بيغلي أو ممتلئ من الحب الإلهي فما قدرش أنه يكتم الكلمات جوه قلبه فالكلمات خرجت خرجت بوحي من الروح القدس على اللسان زي مثلا بتشوف منظر جميل هو شايف الويدنج ده شايف الزواج ده وجمال الزواج ده فما قدرش يكتب نفسه ففاض قلبي كلام خارج من قلبه بكلام صالح 
يعني بكلام صحيح أن أجمل كلام ممكن يتقال أجمل وصف ممكن نروح يوصفه أجمل صورة ممكن الواحد يتخيلها صورة العرس ما بين المسيح والكنيسة بعض المفسرين قالوا كلمة بكلام صالح يقصد بها الكلمة يبقى مين اللي فاض الآب فالابن مولود أو الكلمة مولود من الله الآب الكلمة موجود مولود من الله الآب بس عايز أشرح لكم حتة مولود من الله الآب عارفين لما النور بتخرج من الشمس It is a continuous process مش النور خرجت من شمس وانفصلت وخلصت عشان كده ولادة الابن من الآب دي عملية مستمر يعني الابن مولود من الآب هذه الولادة أو هذا الفيضان فاض قلبي بكلام صالح فاض قلبي بالكلمة لو دقلعوا على الآب يبقى الآب هنا الابن مولود منه باستمرار 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 مش كده حنا زهبي الفهم قال احنا لما بنقول كلمة خلاص كلمة بتخرج بتنتهي انما خروج الكلمة من الله الآب دي everlasting ده إلى ملانيها متكلم أنا بإنشائي للملك طب هو هيقول إيه عارفين إنشاء لو نقول موضوع إنشاء يعني أنا هبتدي أكتب ووصف عن الملك كلام اللي هقوله ده هوصف بيه الملك سواء بقى الآية دي على الله الآب فهو بي بيقول لنا بيعلن لنا من هو الابن لأن زي ما سيد المسيح قال لا أحد يعرف الابن إلا الآب فعلا الآب أعلم قال هذا هو ابن الحبيب الذي به أنا سررت أو لو الرجل يعني النبي اللي هو كتب المزمور فبيقول أنا هتكلم المزمور ده هتكلم عن من هو الملك متكلم أنا بإنشاء للملك قال بس بس مش أنا اللي هتكلم لا لا ده أنا مجرد لساني ده مجرد ألم لكاتب ماهر مين الكاتب الماهر ده ده الروح القدس فالروح القدس بيوحي للكاتب المزمور أو مرنم المزمور والمزمور بس بيقول الكلمات اللي بيوحيها فلساني قلم كاتب ماهر فاض قلبي بكلام صالح متكلم أنا بإنشاء للملك لساني لساني مجرد طول مجرد ألم لكن اللي بيقول المزمور واللي بيكتب المزمور مين؟ الروح القدس ده عشان كده الوصف بتاع الروح القدس كاتب ماهر كاتب ماهر ابتدى من آية اثنين يوصف بأمان هو قال له أنت أبرع جمالا من بني البشر بتكلمش على جمال الجسدي لكن بيتكلم على القداسة خلوه من الخطية منزه عن البشر وزي ما القديس يوحنا زي الفهم قال هو مش بيقارن ما فيش مقارنة يعني, يعني إزاي تقارن ربنا بينا فلما بيقول أبرع جمالا من بني البشر عايز يقول يعني إيه There is no comparison ما فيش وجه مقارنة بينك ما بين بني البشر لأن احنا كلنا خطاه إنما هو زي ما بولس الرسول في عبرين قال قدوس انفصل عن الخطاء فهنا ما بيتكلمش على جمال جسدي 
والوصف اللي هيقوله هيوصف حاجتين هيوصف من هو وماذا يفعل من هو وماذا يفعل أنت أبرع جمالا من بني البشر عشان كده كمل وقال إن سكبت النعمة على شفتيك إن سكبت النعمة على شفتيك عارف حالا لما تشوف راجل كده من رجال الله تقول أبونا ده أو العم فلان ده النعمة على وشه نعمة حل على وشه إن كان البشر نقدر نميز حلول النعمة عليهم كم وكم ابن الله فهذا الجمال لأن هو مصدر النعمة وانسكبت النعمة على شفتيه انسكبت النعمة على شفتيه لأن كلماته مملوءة نعمة يعني حتى الكتب الفرسين لما سمعوه يقولوا ما سمعناش حد زي هذا الإنسان من قبل يعني حتى أعداءه شهدوا لي لما كان في 12 سنة وفي الهيكل كلهم انبهروا من النعمة اللي موجودة على شفتيه انسكبت النعمة يعني خرجت كلمة الانسكاب انسكاب يعني بوفرة مش مجرد يعني مثلا قال كلمتين حلوين يعني ممكن راح مثلا يقول له مرة كلمتين حلوين مثلا بيصب بيهم خلص على كده إنما لا ده انسكبت النعمة كل ما يتكلم به وكل ما ينطق به هو مملوء نعمة الناس بتسمع غاية النهاردة غير المسيحيين لما يقولوا هو مين, مين بيعلم الناس أحبوا أعداء مين قال إن كان أحد بلا خطيئة فليرميها أول حجر ويقف قصاد كلمات النعمة ديا المنسكب على شفتيه مبهورين ومبهوتين من هذه النعمة لذلك باركك الله إلى الأب تقول الله إزاي الله الأب يبارك الله الأب شوفوا سيد المسيح بعد الأيام قال لمريم المجدرية أنا لم أصعد بعد إلى أبي وأبيكم إلهي وإلهكم عشان نفهم الحتة دي الله في التجسد صار واحد مننا أخذ الذي لنا وعطانا الذي له فلما الله يقول سيد المسيح يقول أبي ده بالطبيعة أنا عايزك تفهم الحدث دي كويس لما يقول أبي على الله الآب أبي ده بالطبيعة أبيكم بالتبني تمام ولما يقول إلهي ده بالتجسد يعني بالتجسد لأنه صار واحد مننا فيقول الله الآب إلهي وإلهكم ده بالطبيعة أشرحها تاني أبي بالطبيعة أبيكم بالتبني إلهي بالتجسد وإلهكم بالطبيعة فهنا بيتكلم على الله المتجسد باركك الله إلى الأبد آية 2 نتكلم على من هو هيبتدي في آية 3 يتكلم على ماذا فعل فقال له تقلت سيفك على فخذك أيها الكبار جلالك وبهائك الملك له سيف دايما يخرج في الحروب عشان ينتصر بس ملوك العالم بيخرجوا في الحروب علشان ياخدوا مدن علشان ياخدوا فلوس ده كل همهم إنما المسيح لا هو مش جاي علشان ياخد مدن ولا ياخد فلوس ده جاي عشان يخلص النفوس التي سباها الشيطان 
يخلص النفوس من عبودية الخطية النفوس دي اشتراها بدمه السيف بتاعه كان الصليب ده السيف اللي هو أنا بقول تقلت سيفك على فخذك حمل الصليب وبصليبه سبى سبيا بصليبه هزم أعداءه بصليبه هزم الشيطان بصليبه صار ظهر جبروته وقوته من أجمل الحاجات اللي بحبها في يوم الجمعة العظيمة في لحم أمونو جنيس لما نقول قدوس القوي الذي أظهر بالضعف ما هو أعظم من القوة قدوس القوي ربنا يسوع المسيح الجبار الذي أظهر بالضعف على الصليب ما هو أعظم من القوة هدم مملكة الشيطان تقلت سيفك على فخذك أيها الجبار تقلت سيفك السيف غير الصليب ممكن يكون هو كلمة الله كلمة ربنا حية وفعالة وأمضى من كل سيف نزيح الدين يقولك لما سمعوا كلمة نخص في قلوبهم فكلمة ربنا بتخرج زي سيف تنخس قلب الإنسان وتحرره من مملكة الشيطان ومملكة الظلمة وترجع الإنسان إلى الله تقلت سيفك على فخذك أيها الجبار جلالك وبهاءك معناه اظهر جلالك وبهاءك وفعلا بنصرته على الصليب ظهر جلاله وظهر بهاءه هو طبعا الجلال والبهاء دي من طبيعته لكن أظهرها بقوة الكلمة وبقوة الصليب فظهر جلال الله وبهاءه بعدين في آية أربعة يقول وبجلالك اقتحم اركب من أجل الحق والدعاء والبر فتريك يمينك مخاوف يعني إيه؟ يعني يا رب أنت ليك الجلال وليك البهاء اقتحم مملكة الشيطان كلمة اركب يعني تعالى سريعا ربنا مرة قال إيه؟ هل يستطيع إنسان أن يدخل بيت القوي وينهب أمتعته إن لم يربط القوي أولا وحينئذ ينهب بيته من القوي هنا الشيطان فقال لك أنا علشان أنهب بيت القوي بيت الشيطان اللي هو الجحيم عشان أخرج من الجحيم الذين سباهم الشيطان لابد أن يربط القوي أولا ده اللي حصل على الصديب أن ربطه ربط الشيطان ونزل إلى الجحيم وكسر متريسة الجحيم وأخرج المزبيين من الجحيم فهنا بيقول له المرنم بجلالك اقتحم اركب الشيطان أسس مملكته على إيه؟ على الكذب كذاب وأبو كذاب كبرياء عايز يصير مثل الله والأوبريشن الظلم ده, ده مملكة الشيطان عرش كده جه المسيح يأسس مملكته على إيه؟ بدل الكذب على الحق وبدل الكبرياء الدعاء وبدل الظلم البر فالمسيح جاي علشان يأسس مملكة من أجل الحق ومن أجل الدعاء ومن أجل البر دي مملكة المسيح فتريك يمينك مخاوف مخاوف معناها عجائب يعني في الترجمة اللي بنقولها في الأجبية بالعجب يمينك فهي هي حتى بالإنجليزي awesome things 
يعني يمينك يا رب زي ما نقول يمين الرب صنعت قوة يمين الرب رفعتني يمين الرب صنعت قوة يمينك يا رب هتصنع عجائب يمينك يا رب هتحرر نفوس يمينك يا رب هتهزم الشيطان يمينك يا رب هتحرر ناس من الجحيم وتنقلهم إلى الفردوس لكن هو مش جاي بس بالسيف إنما معاه نبلة نبال يعني نبلك المسنونة في قلب أعداء الملك شعوب تحتك يسقطون ما هذه التبال اللي بيتكلم عليها قالوا ممكن تكون كلمة ربنا أو ممكن يكون دولة الرسل الرسل اللي ربنا قال لهم أوعوا تبرحوا من أورشليم إلى أن تلبسوا قوة من الأعاني والرسل راحوا انتشروا زي النبال المسنونة في قلب عداء الملك وابتدوا يبشروا كلمة ربنا وابتدوا يحرروا الناس ويحولوا الناس الوثنيين يبقوا مسيحيين عشان كده قال شعوب تحتك يسقطون يعني ايه شعوب تحتك يسقطون يعني يخضعون يؤمنون بك ويعلونك انك هو الملك والمخلص لهم فخرج الرسل في العالم كله زي النبل المسنونة او النبال المسنونة في قلب اعداء الملك لا ليقتلوهم ولكن ليحرروهم ويحولوهم عبيد لربنا يسوع المسيح نبلك مسنون في قلب عداء الملك شعوب تحتك يخضعون أو يسقطون فشاف كده صورة جميلة بعد ما كلم من هو وإيه عمله اللي عمله فبص كده لقاه هو الملك المتوج هو ابن الله الذي هو الله بالحقيقة مش كده في آية 6 قال كرسيك يا الله إلى ظهر الدهور يا رب مملكتك هتدوم إلى ظهر الدهور ولا لملكين قضاء زي ما بنقول في القانون الإيمان ليه؟ لأنها مبنية على إيه؟ على الحق والدعاء والبر المملكة المبنية على الحق والدعاء والبر هي مملكة دائمة إلى الأبد كنيسة بتبص يوم الجمعة العظيمة لسيد المسيح على عود الصليب وهو يؤسس مملكته على الحق والدعاء والبر تقول اللحن الجميل بكسرونس ياخد حوالي عشرين دقيقة الواحد بيتأمل كده ان هو جه يأسس الملكوت بتاعه واعتلى الصليب كعرش وهو ده العرش بتاع المسيح مش كده اللحن ده تلاقوه لحن فيه كأنه فريحي بيحتفل بتجليس المسيح وتأسيس مملكة المسيح اللي هي ابتدت في يوم الصليب زي ما المزمور يقول الرب قد ملك على خشبة القضيب هو علامة الملك فعش كده قال قضيب استقامة قضيب ملكك مش قضيب ظلم ولا قضيب قهر ولا قضيب كذب ولا قضيب كبرياء لا تقضيب استقامة هو قضيب ملكك يحكم بالبر والعدل والحق وكيف لا زي ما بيقول في عدد سبعة أحببت البر وأبغضت الإثم يعني يمكن احنا بنجاهد علشان نبقى رايتشس نبقى أبرار لكن ربنا البر في طبيعته 
ربنا مش بيجاهد علشان يبقى بار ده هو قدوس الفصل عن الخطاب هو بطبيعته يحب البر ويبغض الاثم مش كده مملكته مبنية على البر من أجل ذلك مسحك الله إلهك وأنا شرحت الله إلهك ديا بدهن الابتهاج أكثر من رفقائك لأن المسيح أسس مملكته على البر والحق والدعاء فربنا رفعه عايز أشرحك رحلة دي كلكم تقول ما هو الله يعني إيه رفعه أنا بتكلم هنا على الله المتجسد الله المتجسد يسوع المسيح الذي الله اتخذ جسدا وصار إنسان فبتكلم على الله الإنسان يسوع المسيح ده رفع الله الآب فوق كل الملائكة وفوق كل البشر وعطاء اسما يفوق عن اسم الملائكة والبشر زي ما بولس الرسول مجد ده مسحك الله إلهك بدهن الابتهاج أقام من الأموات صعد إلى السماوات جلس عن يمين أبيه أيضا يأتي في مجده ليدين المسكون بالعدل فده الله المتجسد ده هناك الله مسحك الله بدهن الابتهاج يعني دهن الابتهاج كل كان فرحان المسيح من أجل السرور الموضوع أمامه احتمل الصليب أو احتمل الخيزي مستهينا بالعار زي ما بولس قال في عبرانين 12 والله الآب قال على ابنه هذا هو ابن الحبيب الذي به سررت دي معناها دهن الابتهاج دهن الفرح المسيح مسح في يوم المعمودية لما حل الروح القدس عليه فمسح كرئيس كهنة وكملك الملوك وكنبي نبي يعلن لنا النبي مسحك الله بدون الابتاج أكثر من رفقائك أكثر من الملايكة ومن البشر أعطاء اسم يفوق كل اسم ما في السماوات وما على الأرض وما تحت الأرض زي ما ذكر في الكتاب المقدس بنقول في قداس قديس كريلوسي طيب إحنا اتحدنا بالمسيح وبنبقى واحد بالمسيح مش كده في زيت اسمه زيت البهجة هو زيت الغليلان زيت لما نيجي نعمل طفل أو إنسان نتهنه به ونقول له اللي تغرس في شجرة الزيتون اللذيذة يعني زيت البهجة ده في اتحاد أو عربون اتحاد الإنسان بالمسيح العريس بالعروس والفرح بيبقى فرح في بهجة عشان كده وهو بيغرس في شجرة الزيتون اللذيذة هذا الزيت اللي بيغرسه في شجرة الزيتون اللذيذة بنسميه زيت ايه زيت البهجة زيت الغليلاو وزي ما المسيح مسح بدهن البهجة لان احنا مينا واحد معاه مسحنا احنا بدهن بدهن الانتهاج في الميرون في يعني سر المعبودية والميرون وهنا نشوف عمل الثالوث القدوس مسحك الله مين الآب ومين اللي بيتمسح الابن وبيتمسح بإيه بالروح القدس فهنا الثالوث الآب بيمسح الابن الابن زي ما بنوسا يمسك زيت ويتهن بيه فهنا بيفي ثلاثة أبونا والزيت والشخص فهنا الآب بيمسح الابن بالروح القدس وده لما حل الروح القدس على المسيح في المعمودين 
وقت كبتدى يهيئ بقى للعرس ما خلاص هو بإيمالك فهنا بعريس اشترانا بدم دفع المهر اللي هو دمه فدخل بقى من آية 8 يتكلم بقى على العريس العريس اللي خارج بقى ياخد عرسته كنيسة التي اقتناها بدمه فالعريس ده كل ثيابه مر وعود وسليخ دياً عطور رائحتها جميلة جداً جداً ذكرت في صنع المسحة في إخروج 30 وذكرت أيضاً في إزاي العطور المستخدم في قصور الملوك يعني للثياب وللسرير وكده يعني زي ما نقرأ في نشيد سليمان فعايز يقول كل ثيابك مر وعود وسليخ زي ما بولس الرسول بقول نحن رائحة المسيح الزكية فهذه العطور ترمز إلى رائحة المسيح اللي انتشرت في العالم كله والناس نهاردة يشتموها ويقولوا من مثلك في الآلهة رب من مثلك ريحة المسيح العطرة اللي مفروض ولاده بينشروها زي ما بولس الرسول قال نحن رائحة المسيح الزكية مش كده أغسطين نسأل الثياب دي هي الكنيسة هي أحدى احنا ثياب المسيح اللي مفروض بالفضائل بتاعتنا وثمر الروح القدس بننشر رائحة المسيح الزكية فالمسيح خارج العريس رائحته كلها مر وعود وسليخ مر طبعا يرمز إلى الألام بيقول السليخة دي بتتاخد من نبات بيكبر في مطر شديد قوي قوي فيرمز إلى المعمودية ده العلامة أوريانس قال كده وبعدين بيقول من قصور العاك سرتك الأوتار من قصور العاك سرتك إيه قصور العاك قصور العاك دي اللي هي قصور بتاعت الملوك طيب إيه قصور العاك بالنسبة للمسيح بولس يقول أنتم هيكل الله وروح الله يسكن فيكم فإحنا قصور العاج لأن إحنا بينا هيكل لربنا فإحنا بقينا القصر بتاع الملك بقينا هيكل الملك سرتك الأوتار يعني فرحت قلبك إحنا خارجين بنرنم وبنسبح على أوتار سبحوا الله في جميع قدسي هذه التسبيح التي تخرج من قصور العاج حياة التسبيح وحياة الشكر اللي تخرج مننا كقصور العاج بتفرح قلب ربنا فهنا الملك العريس خارج مليان عطور وروائح زكية وإحنا خارجين الكنيسة من قصور العاج كل واحد مننا قصر عاج بنسبحه على الأوتار والتسبيح ده يفرح قلب ربنا زي ما بنقول في الهوس الثاني في إيراناف في كهك لأنه يليق به التسبيح المزمار والأوتار آخر آية في البيبل الساتر بتاعتنا النهاردة بيبتدي بقى من آية تسعة يمهد لخروج العروس العروس لها الكنيسة بنات ملوك بين حضياتك كان لما تيجي زي النهاردة اللي بيمشوا مع العروسة دولة فمين اللي ماشيين مع العروس بتاعت المسيح مش أي حد 
ده بنات ملوك يعني بنات ملك الملوك ورب الأرباب فبنات ملوك بين حظياتك جعلت الملكة عن يمينك بذهب أفير فعايز يقول أني كل من قبل كل الذين قبلوا أعطاهم سلطانا أن يكونوا أبناء الله كل من قبل أن يكون ابن لله أو بنت ربنا دولة هيبقوا في الزفة في البروسيشن بتاعت الكنيسة ودولة بنات ملوك مش ملوك أرضيين إنما ملك السماء والملك الكنيسة جعلت عن يمينه بذهب أفير الذهب يرمز للطهارة والنقاوة وذهب أفير ده أغلى أنواع الذهب وجعلت عن يمينه زي ما أغسينز بيقول عن شماله وقف الناس اللي لهم إسهابوا عني لا أعرفكم إلى النار المعدة إلى إبليس وجنوده أما اللي على اليمين قال لهم تعالوا إلي مبارك أبي رسل الملك المعد لكم منذ إنشاء العالم طبعا الملكة ديا ترمز للعذراء يعني دايما كلمة الملكة ترمز لثلاث حاجات للكنيسة ككل للنفس البشرية كل نفس بشرية وترمز أيضا لسيدة العذراء جلسة الملك عن يمين الملك طبعا إن كان المسيح ابنها هو ملك الملوك رب الأرباب فيليق بالعذراء أن ندعوها الملكة بعض الناس بيستعفوا أن يقولوا لا إذن نقول العذراء الملكة لا طبعا هي ملكة دي أم ملك الملوك رب الأرباب فهي أيضا ملكة من أي عشرة بقى يبتدي يتكلم على من هي الملكة يعني هو كده خلص من هو الملك من هي الملكة من أي عشرة لإلهنا المجد الدائم إلى الأبد آمين آمين